that we would see you more as a friend today than we ever have. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to all of you here, to those that are listening in. Uh, My name is Ed Hires. I'm one of the pastors here at Shiloh. And this week, I am continuing our series, Calibrating, Aligning Our Hearts to Jesus. And our message for today is entitled, Upon This Rock. So last week, Josh gave us a great overview of our series. And he said we're going to be looking at three things, evaluating, comparing, and adjusting to this idea that we have this solid, solid standard that we can evaluate, compare, and adjust to, and that standard is Jesus. So this week, we're going to be evaluating our lives by looking at Jesus and realizing who he is and expanding on why he is this fixed point this standard that we can rely on. And next week, Steve will be talking and taking a deeper dive into comparing. And then Greg will be talking about adjusting our lives to be more Christ-like. And today I have three points. I only had two, but you have to have three. That's everything I ever read about preaching. You have to have three. So I made up the third one. And so anyway, you'll hear it. Um, So let's begin by looking at this word calibrate. Here's the Merriam-Webster definition. To standardize something such as a measuring instrument by determining the deviation from a standard so as to ascertain the proper, proper correction factors. That's confusing. So let me read it in English. You take something that's a confirmed standard, something that's proven it is absolutely true and accurate, and then you compare something else that you want to see how it compares to that, and to figure out what change, what change you need to make. So I'm going to ask Ryan to go and grab a couple of props for me. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. So what we're going to be looking at today is something that many of you have in your home, and it's called a scale, okay? So this scale is something that you and I use probably on somewhat of a regular basis. So thank you, Ryan. All right, so we have the scale, Now, I put the scale down. Now, imagine with me, I've just come back from a week's vacation. (laughs) It's my enemy, maybe. I don't want to get on it, but I have to find out. So here's my hope. My hope is I've gained two pounds. Seriously! Six pounds. What's my first reaction? Stupid scale. You're wrong. Okay? So, how do we find out? How do we find out? We take a weight like this. I know this seems like it's light for me, but it's a 100-pound weight. All right, so it's 50 pounds. Okay, 20. Put it on, and I look at the scale. It is 19 pounds. So I can gain, I can take away six-tenths of a pound, and suddenly the scale is not nearly as stupid as we think it is, right? So this is a calibration tool, and let me tell you about us. In my life, in your life, guess who's the scale? We are. Guess who's the 
absolute correct rater. Well, he'd be 20 right on the nose, by the way. And so that is the, that's the issue of how you calibrate. That's an example. This is not always true, you and I. This is always going to be 19.6. In this case, we pretend it's 20. And that is how we make sure this life is lined up with this life. Very, very important, okay? So for this series, Jesus is the weight, we're the scale. And if you're going to calibrate to a weight, if we're going to calibrate to Jesus, I want to go back to the beginning. And I mean the very beginning of when Jesus became the standard for us. And to do that, I'd like to give you an analogy. It's not a perfect analogy. It may seem a little strange at first. But for purposes of this particular example, this fits what I'm trying to get across. So who knows who this is? Yes, Taylor Swift. Now, understand a few things. I am not a Swifty. I didn't even know what that was. So I start to put together this message, but apparently that's what they call her fans. I don't know anything about her. I don't know her songs. I know Shake It Off. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> All right, so I want to use her for an example only. I don't condone, I don't know what she believes. I don't know how she dresses. I don't know any of that. But just my example, I think you'll see that as we go along. Now, let me tell you a few things about Taylor Swift. Last October age 34, she became a billionaire. Her concert, Eris, which one of my granddaughters went to, has netted her, will net her out, so she's going to be more than a billionaire, $1.08 billion from that tour. All right? She is now ranked, oh, by the way, on that tour, Ticketmaster collapsed because of the demand, Congress met to see if they should do something to Ticketmaster for having that much control over tickets. The problem wasn't the tickets or Ticketmaster, it was the demand. By the way, if you wanted a ticket, very, very few would get a ticket by calling in like you could do. If you wanted to buy a resale ticket, guess what the average price was? $1,619. I read a story about one woman that paid $4,000 for a ticket, and she took it out of her retirement plan. Wow, 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 wow. So, she's also just been named the eighth greatest recording artist of all time. The first artist in the last 15 years, excuse me, the last artist in the 21st century to ever make the list of the top 15. And as a side note, she happens to have two private jets, which makes sense because one could be in the shop when she needs to go somewhere. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at uh, Ms. Swift's current home. So now, look at the Jeep. You notice how small that Jeep is? Wow. So stay with me here. God speaks to Taylor Swift. And he tells Taylor, Taylor, I want you to leave your career. I want you to give away almost all of the money 
that you have. I want you to leave. I want you to leave the, the uh, boyfriend that you currently have. I want to have you leave your family. And I want you to move to Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> so let me show you your new home. Yes, that's your new home. And let me show you people that will become your fans. You see, I'm sending you now to serve the homeless, those who suffer perhaps from addiction. For those who, the Bible says, many consider the least of our brethren, and that's in least of what they have, not who they are. So here's a couple of important questions as we look at this, because there's some humor in it, right? But, but I want to start getting a little more serious. What are the chances that Taylor Swift would ever do this on a scale of one to 10? Zero, maybe a minus thousand, okay? But if she did it, let's just assume that she did it. Let's assume that she served this, this population for a period of time. What would you then think about Taylor Swift? You would think that she's uh, amazing. You would have to know that she's humble. She would be godly in what she's doing. And many would say, I want to model my life after this. In fact, many of us would really love her, even though most of us would never probably meet her, most of the world would never meet her. But based on what she gave and what she gave up, we would truly, truly, truly just love this woman for what she's done. And what if, let's go another step, what if in the midst of this, one night while she's out ministering to these, one of the very people she came to serve takes her life? So you might ask, what's going on, Ed? What's all the swift stuff? And maybe you're starting to see where I'm going. See, most of us would think at that moment that Taylor Swift was one of the best human beings ever to live. But she actually wouldn't hold a candle to the actual best human being that ever lived to be born of human parents. You see, Jesus Christ is that example to us. Like Taylor, in my example, Jesus left his home in heaven much better than that home, I might add. He left his heavenly father, not just a boyfriend and a family. He humbled himself to be just like one of us. The creator became the created. And by the way, he isn't just godly, right? He is godly. But he isn't just godly, he's God. <laughs> He is someone that once we grasp the impact of what he did for us, billions and billions would come to model their lives after him. But most importantly, we then realize how much he loved us. Then our decision to calibrate to him is based out of this love he had for us. See, we no longer see God as we look at the wonder of this, we no longer see God as a God with demands and rules. 
Because before Jesus, God was our judge. That's what we read in the Old Testament. But now, because of Jesus, God our Father is not a judge. He's a loving Father. Jesus is such a perfect standard that only he could bridge this gap between us and a father that cannot deal with sin. Now, because of this birth, this obedient life, we now have the amazing privilege of calling him friend and God our father. Luke 4.19, very, 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 very critical scripture for all of us. It says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Matthew 20 says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life for a ransom for many. You see, I understand it's easy to look and listen to that and say, of course, Ed, we know that. Sure, we all know the story about Jesus coming from heaven. We know about him leaving his father. We know about him coming in human form, allowing his creation to brutally murder him. But I believe that like so many other amazing things in our lives, this can become more head knowledge than heart knowledge. As humans, many times something that happens to you that is so wonderful that you are committed, you'll never ever lose that amazing sense of what that did for you. We do. See, in human terms, we could never imagine Taylor Swift giving all that to come to Manchester and minister to the homeless. But here's a key thing to remember. Before Jesus came to earth, no one other than the Father and the Spirit could ever have imagined him having this plan to save us from our sins by having Jesus come as a baby. It was a mystery of all time. Romans 16.25 says, Now to God who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed. God has given me, in Colossians 1, it says, God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. You know, sometimes I find myself just thanking God that I was born after the cross. You should do that too. If you read the Old Testament, you know that you would really, really want to be born after the cross. So Paul says, I I preach this entire message. And then he gives the entire message, and here it is. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There it is. That's our gospel. This amazing, amazing sacrifice that all started at the very, very beginning of this baby being born that was literally the son of God. And it's interesting, not even the angels knew about this. None of them could have imagined God sending his son to be brutally murdered as he was. See, this non-fiction story should leave us in a state of wonder. I love that word. In a state of wonder, it should bring us 
to tears to realize the love. This is God, not Taylor Swift, that made this decision. See, it should reinforce so much God's unconditional love for us because the enemy's role is to get you to somehow believe God doesn't love you as much as other people tell you he does. That because of who you are and some of the things in your life, that God just doesn't love you the way that others seem to be loved, the way that others are told you are loved. And the Bible says if God would send his son, why would he withhold anything from us? Romans, Paul says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. I love this pleading for us. Not only is he born as a baby, but he pleads for us. Calibrating our lives to Jesus, making Jesus our standard, has to start with the wonder of this God coming to earth as a baby and then going to die at the hands of the very people he was saving. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Philippians 2 says, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. If you're a Christian at that moment, when that scripture is fulfilled, your knee will bow because of the wonder of seeing him as he is. And that love that we will experience at that moment is both from him to us, but it will be from us to him at levels we've never known. Others will bow because they suddenly realize the truth of who he is, a truth that comes too late for them. See, when the reality of Jesus hits the human race, going to our knees will be unavoidable. It is the only thing that you will ever think to do at that moment. Just the reason will be different for why you're on your knees. Grasping our standard, coming as a baby, and going through all that he went through, is just key to us really grasping the love of God. It's such an important point. It's such a, a way that we can visualize the greatest love of all. My second point is one that in the midst of that wonder, 
when we realize who he is and what he did for us, when we can't help but love him for who he truly is in our lives, we then have an important decision to make. And here's that decision. Do we calibrate to Jesus in all the areas of our lives or do we calibrate to Jesus in some of the areas of our lives? See, Jesus said, again, that we have this enemy. His name is Satan. And his sole purpose is to keep you from seeing Jesus as he really is. His goal is to get you to calibrate to the world standards. And many times he will do this so subtly that you don't even realize what he's doing. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, and what union can there be between God, God's temple, and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. One of the parts of the Bible I love at the top of my list is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus basically said, look, You think this, but this is truth. Well, you think this, but this is truth. He starts out by listing all these attributes that are such a blessing to God. He says he blesses those who mourn, those who are humble, those who thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart. But the world doesn't see those traits as ones to be excited about. Many times the world sees some of those as weaknesses. The world standard most often is to get the most out of this life we can, even though there are many times such great costs as we try to line up with the world's definition of success, either materially or emotionally. Jesus goes on with a bunch of these, you think this, I think that. He says something very interesting. He says, you know that it's wrong to commit adultery. You know that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. When you look at a woman and lust after her, you're guilty of adultery. Now, that's a very, you have to understand the Jews' position on this. You could be stoned for that. So that just rocked them to the core Jesus said, hey, when someone takes your coat, instead of trying to get it back, give them your scarf and your gloves and your hat, better translation that we'd understand. If, if someone says, Ed, I, de- I demand you walk a mile with me, he's got a gun on my back, and, and I walk a mile, and I say, hey, why don't we go two? Right? All of these things, if he hits you on your right cheek, Punch him right in the face. (laughs) I got to tell you, if somebody hits me on the right cheek, 
I want to have this response, but I will tell you, I don't know that my fist isn't going to fly. I went into a, uh, nope, can't tell you that story. Um, (laughs) So why does God tell you all this? Why does God say about this whole thing, go to, go this, go that, this whole idea of of non-resistance? Because that's how Jesus loves you. I smacked Jesus and God in the face so many times until September 6th of 1975, I could never keep count. And every time, God just let it go. Not only that, he pursued me in the midst of that until he could finally convince me he was the way. There are a bunch of world standards. Some, in this country especially, we are obsessed with how we look. All right? And if you happen to have been blessed with really good looks, not one of my many blessings, but if you have... You spend even more time mostly, and let me tell you something about what happens if you're young enough to still be able to look in the mirror and see yourself as you are. The mirror will become your enemy sooner or later. That's just the way life is. Power and control, climbing the ladder of success. I see so many people in my business world do that at the cost of their family, of their health, of their peace. See, Jesus gives us standards, and he is this standard. We know we can go by that because he created us to live this way. And while we may feel happy when we live according to world standards, it's short-lived in most cases. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So if you have your notebooks, would you take them out? Because this is our third point. If you have the notebooks, if you don't, use your smartphone. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down one time in your life where God showed up, where God just as the standard brought you either something of great blessing or he corrected you and brought you back sovereignly to his will and to his way. Something that either blessed you, something that was just something you needed. When I was, when my daughter was, how old was Colleen when the dog bit her? seven or eight, my, da- my daughter was viciously attacked by a Nikita. She ended up with 56 stitches to her face. I remember driving to the hospital with my towel wrapped around her to stop the blood. And I remember just, if you've ever cried out to God, okay, I cried out to God. So when we got there, the 56 stitches to the face was really not the big deal. What the doctor told me, that if that one puncture had been just a smidge closer, it would have pierced her jugular and she would have been dead in moments. Wow, what a friend we have in Jesus. So write down one thing. It's like I can write that down and just say, God, thank you, Jesus. 
So another thing, so one is write down how you've been blessed or how God is actually correcting you. The other thing I want you to write down, excuse me, not write down. I want you to just find, I don't care if it's two minutes or three minutes or a half hour. I just want you to find a quiet time, get off by yourself. And I want you to somehow grasp this amazing coming of Jesus Christ to this earth, to become a baby, to have to go through diapers, to have to learn to talk, to have to do all these things. So it says he set aside his godliness. I want you to just meditate on that. And I want you to know that he didn't do that for us. He did that for you. It says no man or woman comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. It's, a, it's an individual salvation always. So here's what we're going to do today. I want to talk to two different groups of people. The first group... You're sitting here today and there's something in your life where you know you're not following God's standard. Now, this doesn't have to be something super major. It could be something very minor. Or it could be something really super major. But it doesn't matter what it is. When you confess that to the Lord, when you ask Jesus, this this God that came as a baby and died for you, to help you in this, I believe that happens. And the second group is a real important group. And that is, you've never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee you only one definite thing about this. You will bow your knee at some point. But God gives you an, an option of doing it here on earth. For some of you here today, it's today that option can be fulfilled. Because the Bible says he would that none would perish. None would bow their knee for the first time when they see Jesus. I never believe there's a coincidence when somebody comes to a service like this. And if that's you, you're in that second group, or you're in that first group. Again, maybe something minor, maybe something major, but today is the day you want to say, Lord, I believe you are the standard and I'm going to line up with your standard and believe for the strength to do it. So I'm going to ask you to do something unusual. I'm going to ask you to kneel right at your place. If you can't kneel, I'm going to ask you just to lean forward and put your arms on the chair in front of you because you can do that. I'm going to ask you to do that now, and you're going to find, I believe, that this this baby-turned-savior-turned-friend is going to meet you right where you are. Father, you see all these ones kneeling. Father, you told me that this would be a day that many would find the wonder of your life, your touch, your friendship. Father God, I'm greatly humbled to, to share anything about your word. love is greater, Father, in my own life, Lord. I've knelt many times. And every time, Lord, you have met me. So, Father, I pray right now that you would meet all these that are on their knees. Oh, Father, I pray that you would meet all of these that are on their knees. Father, you hear the prayers of your people. Oh, 
Heavenly Father, hear the prayers today coming from, from this building, this church, from the hearts of those that have humbled themselves to kneel before you. Lord, I know, I know that it is your good pleasure to give us the desires of our heart, especially Jesus, when those line up with you as their standard. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for this day and for this hour and for this time for each one of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you knelt because today is the day that you wanted to bow a knee for the first time, please, please, please don't leave here without coming up front. I'll ask our prayer team to please come up and be ready to minister to those. Come up and see me. I'll be in the front. Find a Christian around you you know is a Christian and, and share with them. But if that's you, I want a name and, and an email address or something so we can follow up and just make sure that, that there's help there for them. Just think about that baby this week. I know God has some wonderful moments of sharing with you as you do that. We have lunch downstairs. Please don't forget that. And again, if you need prayer for anything, uh, we'd love to have you come up front and we'll be glad to pray with you. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day.